Well, what is up? Element Church, so glad that all of you are here with us today. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, so thankful that you've chosen to spend some time with us. And then I also want to just say hello to those of you joining us on video, whether you're here in the building or on the internet somewhere around the world, uh, we consider you part of our family, part of our home, and so glad that you are with us as well. Today we are starting a new sermon series called Decision 2016. People say that you should never talk about faith or politics. So for three weeks, we're combining them into one subject. We are glutton for punishment. And the next three weeks, we're talking about how our faith intertwines uh, with politics. Before we jump into the series, though, I want to let you know about what's coming up on a few weeks here on Sunday, November 6th. We try to do this about once a year called You Choose Sunday, where you select the songs and you select the sermon content. And so if you want to be a part of that, go to our website, elementchurchwy.com. Click on the You Choose slide. Looks just like the one on the screens. You can select your favorite songs, maybe ones you want us to sing that day, and you can ask any question that you would like me to answer. No limits to the questions you can ask. Might be a question about this sermon series, about church, about the Bible, about faith, whatever it is, and I'll do my best to answer as many questions as I can on that Sunday. My wife will be joining me uh, on the platform as well, and I cannot guarantee that she will ask uh, answer a question, but if you want uh, to ask her one, you can put one on there, and now I'll be sleeping on the couch uh, because I recommended that you ask my wife a question. So, uh, decision 2016. I don't know about you, this will date me a little bit, but this is my seventh election that I'm eligible to vote in if I did my math correctly. It's really only the ninth election that I truly have a memory of. Like the, the first uh, election I truly remember is the 1984 Reagan versus Mondale election. We got a picture of them uh, at one of their debates. I would have been 10 years old at the time, and so that was a long time ago, 32 years ago, the uh, very first election I can remember. The first election I actually participated in was the 1992 George Bush Sr., Bill Clinton, and then we had the third candidate, Ross Perot, that caused Saturday Night Live to make a lot of money on those three characters that, that season. When I say participate in, I'm not just talking about voting. Now, this is another story for another day, but every election year I always have to bring this up. That, that year was my first election to, to vote in. Uh, in my support of George Bush Sr., I ended up in jail for stealing Clinton and Perot signs all around our community uh, that we lived in. I actually have a mugshot to prove it. Here's me in jail. <laughs> Apparently, I was inmate L27771, October 29th, 1992. I would love to tell you the story, but I don't have enough time, and I don't want to embarrass myself uh, more fully. So since then... Since that election, we've had uh, controversial elections like the Hanging Chad election. You might remember that one where it took us days to find out who our president was. We've had historic elections uh, the two terms ago when Barack Obama became the very first African-American president in our country. It was historic uh, to say the least. And that's probably the election that most of my kids remember as the very first election, regardless of your opinions politically. I think it was amazing uh, that we were able to break that barrier in our country. We have not uh, by any means solved the civil rights issue in our country, but that was a step definitely in the right direction. And now here we are. Uh, Obama's second term is ending and a new president will be elected. I don't know if you noticed, but paranoia is in full force in our country. 
It is in full force. Like the level, when I look at the political landscape and cultural landscape, I think social media has something to do with this. Like the, I love social media, but it just is a, a fear-mongering tool. But when I, I look at the political landscape, the level of fear and concern and uncertainty and unworry, and quite frankly, in this election, the embarrassment that we have gone through in our country is at an all-time high. I've never seen an election like this one in my lifetime. I and mean, you, some of you have lived through many more. You might say there was other ones like it, but I, I haven't seen anything like it. And, and, and me, like many of you, I have asked questions like, what are we going to do? Who are you going to vote for? Are you even going to vote? Like I've heard more people this election say, I'm just not going to vote. I just can't pick anybody to, to give my vote to. I, we ask questions like, what will happen to our country if he is elected? And now for the very first time, if she is elected president, will taxes skyrocket? Will the economy collapse? Will Christian freedom be infringed? What are we going to do if that person is elected? Paranoia is at an all-time high. So I ran across a Fox News poll on Twitter recently, and it just sums up where we are as a country. This is a real poll. Things in the world today are going to hell in a handbasket, or they'll be all right. And 57% of our country believes that we are going to hell in a handbasket. That's a real poll they felt newsworthy enough to put on on Fox News. And I think it speaks to the, the feeding of the paranoia that we have going on in our country. So the great news is, is this. The great news is this. I believe the Bible actually tells us exactly what decision we should make in this election. That I truly do believe that God tells us in Scripture how we can escape political paranoia. Now, you might be here today, and it's your first time to Element Church, maybe your first time to church altogether, which is awesome that you are here. Welcome again. Maybe you're here, you don't even believe in God, which I would say is we love it that you are here as well. You're welcome to be here. As Ryan said earlier, you can belong before you believe what we believe. We love it that you are here. Maybe you're a regular tender, okay, all across the spectrum here, and you're already thinking, what in the world? is he going to say about the election? Like some of y'all are already nervous, I can tell. Okay, like maybe, maybe you're here and you assume that because I'm an evangelical pastor, I'm going to stand up here, declare my love for the Republican Party and my hatred for Hillary Clinton. Or maybe you're, you're on the opposite end and you're terrified. I'm going to support Hillary and deny the Republican Party. So let me tell you what I'm not going to do. Okay, in this series, I'm not going to tell you who you should vote for. In fact, it's illegal for me to use this platform to do that. So even if I wanted to, and I don't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Now, I have my own personal opinions. I have very strong convictions about what drives my vote in any election. And I will tell you this, that when I vote, I don't vote for a party, and I don't vote for a person. I vote for policies. That's where my vote goes to. So first of all, I want to know, do the policies support biblical morals, values, and standards? That's what I look for first. And then I want to vote for policies that I believe, in my opinion, are best for our country and for my family. So that's what guides my vote in any election for any elected office. I'm not even going to tell you that you have to vote, okay? I know many of you are questioning whether you even cast a vote in this election for, for president. I do believe voting is a right, not a mandate. For myself, for myself, I am going to vote, okay? 
as a U.S. citizen in a land where people have died for the freedom for me to cast a vote for who will be my president, I consider that a right and a privilege uh, to do that. And so I have used my right, my privilege in every eligible election I have been in. I would encourage you to do that, but I'm not going to tell you that you, you have to vote. There's nothing in the Bible that says that you have to do that. In that Fox News poll, 57% of Republicans and Democrats, people both sides of the aisle, believe our country is going to hell in a handbasket. When I look at the paranoia going on, when I look at our cultural, political landscape, there's one word I can think of that is needed when I look at all that. That one word is change. We need a change. And I am not making a political statement in saying that. Because the reality is we are getting political change whether we like it or not, right? If Trump's elected, will there be political change? Yeah. If Hillary is elected, even though she's the same party as Barack Obama, will there be change? Absolutely. No matter who wins the election, we are headed for political change in, in our country. And so even, even if you think that something needs to change in the White House to lean more towards your political affiliation, can I just remind us of something today? I'm going to say a lot of things in this series that many of you will not agree with, and that's okay. I still love you, and you can still love me. That's totally fine. But here, here's just let me remind us of this. The government is simply a reflection of the people it represents. And any problems that we see in the political landscape are just reflections of the problems we are experiencing in the cultural landscape. The government reflects the people that it represents, especially in a democracy like we live in. So let me speak to the Christians in the room for a moment. If you're a Christian, then let me speak to you. A change in the government is not what we need. A change in God's people is what we need. We need a change in God's people. Like we need to, as Christians, stop counting on the government to change things and start counting on God to change us. We need to be overcome with the spiritual nature of God. We need to be overcome because when God's people are overcome with the goodness and majesty and glory and grandeur and power of who God is. As we are overcome, changed more and more into the image of Jesus, a cultural shift begins to take place. And if the government is a reflection of the people, and if the people are overcome with the goodness, majesty, power, glory, and grandeur of who God is, guess what happens in the government? The government is overturned. It's flipped upside down. Not physically by a coup, but spiritually by the character of the people it represents. We need a character change in our country, not a political change in our country. So let me tell you something funny, because it's going to get tense today if it hasn't already done that. So let me tell you something funny and kind of break the ice, then we'll, we'll dive in. I initially had a big idea for today that we're not using, okay? But when I had it, like I, I had this whole outline done seven weeks ago, and I had this big idea, and I thought, man, Jeff, that is good preaching right there. Like, just say that, drop the mic, walk off the platform. It's that good. <laughs> and so here, let me tell you the big idea and then explain why we're not using it. Here was my initial big idea. Government will be overthrown when God's people are overcome. That's good. Okay. 
until I realized it's not a good idea to put out a sermon online talking about overthrowing the government. <laughs> it's not a good idea, right? I had a big question. If you're around here often, you know I always use big questions. My big question was this. This was awesome. How do we overthrow the government? <laughs> like, I'm all for publicity. That's not the publicity you want. We would have some guests next week, but not good guests. I guarantee you that. So that was the big idea of the question. But I thought, you know, I, thankfully the Lord you know, caught me before I stood up here and said, hey, this is awesome. Uh, so here, here's the big idea. Here's the big idea for today that will drive everything we're talking about. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. Change won't happen in the White House until there's a change in God's house. Change won't happen in the White House until there's a change in God's house. When I say God's house, I mean among his people, what we call the church, capital C. It, it is not a government or a president that needs changed. The change starts with us. The people of God. And listen, I am not saying, please hear me, I am not saying that government is not vital because it is. Our government is vital. We should actually feel blessed that we live in this country that we live in. With all of her warts and faults, we live in the best country in the world. I still believe that. Okay? So government, the way our government, democracy is vital. I'm not saying this election is not important or not vital. Because it is. This election is a pivotal one in the history of our church. Like it is very, very important this election is. So I think we should earnestly pray. Ask God, who should I vote for in this election? We should earnestly pray that God would place fully devoted followers of Jesus in every elected position in our country. We should be praying that. But listen, while the government and while this election is a vital thing, it is not the ultimate thing. It's not where we should put our trust. It's not where we should put our, our hope. So if there's a change needed in God's house here's the big question and it's not about overthrowing the government here's the big question what changes do we need in god's house what changes if there are some do we need in god's house turn in your bible to jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 14 uh, if you didn't bring a bible we put all of our verses on the screens it's easy to follow along there although i'd encourage you to bring one uh, if you don't own a bible we give them away We'd love for you to have one. Ask for one at guest services before you go. We'll put one into your hands. Let me give you some background where we're at here in Jeremiah 29 because it's important to this text that we're about to read. In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem, destroyed it, took thousands of Israelite people back to Babylon as captives. We're going to read here in a moment that God tells these captives, you will be in Babylon as captives for 70 years. So eight years into their captivity, 597 B.C., Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, writes a letter from Jerusalem where he was, a letter to all the captive people in Babylon, okay? And here these people of God were. They were captives in a foreign land, living under the rule of an evil king in a culture where there was unbridled idolatry, paganism, and secularism. They had no real religious freedom or liberty on their own. In fact, multiple times while they were in Babylon, it was illegal for them to worship the God whom they believed to be the one true God. And that brings us to Jeremiah, now 29. I'm going to start at the last portion of this passage 
and we're going to work backwards through it. Okay, so the last section first, Jeremiah 29, verses 8 through 14, this letter Jeremiah wrote says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. So God is speaking through Jeremiah to the captives. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again for, this is a very famous verse that quite frankly we use out of context quite a bit, but here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. Then it says this. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Other versions say, if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Then it says this, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. A change won't happen in the White House until there's a change in God's house. So there's three changes we're going to look at today. Probably lots more we could talk about, but here's three that I see in this text. Uh, the first one is this. We need a renewed passion for God's presence. We need a renewed passion for God's presence. God tells them, if you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart. Church, it is only God's presence and not a certain president that will turn our country around. It is only God's presence. And in some ways, I think as Christians, we have been horrible witnesses to the world around us about where we put our hope and where we put our trust. Because the way we talk about this election and the way we talk about any sitting president, especially now on social media, sure makes it look like we trust a political party more than we trust the power and presence of God. We need a renewed passion for God's presence in our lives. Here the Israelites were in Jeremiah 29. They were stuck in a foreign land under the rule of a pagan king in a secular society with no religious freedom, no real rights of their own. And Jeremiah writes a letter and he did not say, pray for a new king. Pray that the government's overthrown. Pray that if God could just get that person in office, then everything would be all right. No, he said, if you seek me, if you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, we need a renewed passion for God's presence. That regardless of who is in office, that one thing remains the same. God, we need you. We need you. Psalm 8410 the writer of Psalms says this about the presence of God, a single day in your courts, or in other words, a single day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God, in the presence of God, than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. But one day in God's presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. I don't know about you, but that's convicting for me. It's convicting for me. 
Psalm 27, 4, the writer says this, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most, it's not a president, it's not a political party, it's not a new home or a new car, it's not protection, it's not provision. The one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord, the presence of God, all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple, that the one most important thing is God's presence. It's his presence. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if we were as passionate about God's presence in our lives as we are about who will be the next president? If we got as angry about our own sin as we do about the sins of the political candidates? If we were as worked up over the injustice done in this world as we are over who will be the next Supreme Court justice? Can you imagine what would happen? Like this world would change. If we had that kind of reverence and awe and wonder of the, of the presence of God in our lives. And I'm not saying those other things are not important. They're just not ultimate. It's not the ultimate thing. We need a renewed passion for God's presence. We need to see God in a fresh way. Because when we see God in a fresh way, we will seek him in a more full way. We need a renewed passion for God. That God, God, we need you so badly may your kingdom come not may the republican party's kingdom come not may the democratic party's kingdom come may your kingdom come we need your presence god because without you we're done we're done a change won't happen in the white house until there's a change in God's house. So what changes do we need in God's house? We need a renewed passion for God's presence. Number two is this. We need a revolution of service to our city. Revolution of service to our city. This verse might rub some people the wrong way when I start unpacking it. But this is what God, remember, this is what God said to captive people in a pagan land. Jeremiah 29, now verse 7. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Do you realize that God was telling the people of Israel to work for the peace and prosperity of Babylon? To work for the peace and prosperity of a pagan king in a secular nation with no religious liberty or rights on their own. He said, don't work against Babylon, work for it. Wow. Church, for far too long, we as God's church have been known more for what we are against than what we are for. And if we are going to begin to make even the slightest dent in our culture, we have to be known for what we are for. And we are for God and we are for all people because he died for every single one of them. We might exist for the glory of God, but we also exist for the good of our community. 
whatever and wherever that community is and whoever the elected or appointed official is of it. We are here for the good of our community. What if our churches were known more for our service in the community than our services inside our buildings? What if we were known more for our love than we were for our legal battles? Do you you think Babylon, the Babylonian government, would have taken notice if all the Jews who were captive began to work for the peace and prosperity of their captive community? The captives willingly serving their captors? Come on. Like they would have taken notice. So listen, people may not believe what we believe as a church, but we as Christians should be living in such a way that our communities cannot deny the good we bring to them. That maybe, maybe mayors would start telling other mayors, I don't believe in God, but I want more of his followers living in our city. That that governors might tell other governors, I don't go to their church, but I want more of their churches in our state. That presidents might tell other presidents, this whole God thing, I'm not sure about, but these people who believe in him, they are so good for our country. People may not like what we stand for. They may not agree with what we believe or how we interpret scripture or what we preach or the way we vote. But oh, how I pray that we would be Christians who live in such a way they cannot deny we are good for the city we live in. We're good. This is part of our 2027 vision description. Two weeks ago, on our ninth birthday as a church, I was able to kind of unpack for us where we believe God's taking us for the next 11 years as a church. That by October 3rd, 2027, that's our 20th birthday as a church, by October 3rd, 2027, Element Church will be a part of elevating, expanding, and reinforcing the credibility of God's church in all 23 counties of our state. That we would lead the way to unleash a movement of God's people armed with compassion, infusing life into our neighborhoods by the only one who gives it, that we would would seek and serve the tangible needs of those around us, that we live and lead in such a way that an indelible mark is made on our community, so much so that if we were gone, an irreplaceable void would be left behind. We might exist for the glory of God, but we also exist for the good of the world that he died for. So we need a rejuvenated revolution of service to our city. Let me show you a, a note, a picture of a note I found. George Bush Sr. left this note on the Oval Office desk for incoming President Bill Clinton. When I saw this, blew me away. January 20th, 1993, I'll do my best to read it. His handwriting's almost as bad as mine. So it says this, Dear Bill, When I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. I know you'll feel that too. I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. There will be very tough times, made even more difficult by criticism, you may not think is fair. I'm not a very good one to give advice, but just don't let the critics discourage you or push you off course. You will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Then look at this last line. Your success 
Your success now is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you. Good luck, George. Wow. Wow. When I read that note, I thought, man, I sure wish Christians in 1992 would have seen what George Bush said about Bill Clinton. Because I'll be honest, that was the first election that I remember noticing how poorly Christians respond to politics. And some of the things that were said, like or dislike, agree or disagree with Bill Clinton, some of the things said about him were borderline sinful by Christians. And I'll say the same thing about our current president, Barack Obama. The way some people talk about our president is unbiblical. It's unbiblical. When we wake up on Wednesday, November 9th, regardless of who has been elected, I pray our response as God's people would be, we will work for the peace and prosperity of the city, state, and country where we live. We're going to pray to God for it, for its welfare determines our welfare. Listen, you don't have to pray that, that the policies of a particular president succeed, but we should be praying that our country succeeds regardless of who is president. Because its welfare determines our welfare. So no matter where we are on November 9th, we should serve the city for its own success. Change won't happen in the White House until there's change in God's house. So what changes do we need in God's house? We've got a, a renewed passion for God's presence. We need a revolution of service to our city. And here's number three. We need a rejuvenated commitment to continue. We just need a rejuvenated commitment to continue. Because when I hear what people are saying, a lot of people have just given up. Just kind of given up, throwing the towel. Like no matter who's elected, it's all going to hell anyway. That's what we think. Hell in a handbasket, 57%. So let me encourage you with what God tells the people of Israel. This is the first part of the letter now. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 6. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. One of the things I have heard most in this election is if they are elected, I'm moving to Canada. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. They find, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. He was speaking physically, but I, I can say with a fair level of certainty that God would say the same thing to us spiritually. Multiply. <laughs> Multiply. Reach more people. Do not dwindle away. Don't give up. God was telling the people of Israel, you need a rejuvenated commitment to continue. That I know your situation is not ideal. I know you are in a foreign land under a pagan king with no rights of your own. But don't give up, people. Seek God's presence. Serve the city and do it again. Seek God's presence and serve the city because, church, what else are we going to do? Like after election day, our vote is done. There will be a new president to take office. At that point, for most of us, unless you are involved in the government somehow, what else can we do? But seek God's presence. 
and serve our city. Church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who is in office. Our responsibility stays the same. And we cannot give up, church. We cannot give up. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to some Christians in a town called Corinth. They were also facing kind of uncertainty in their lives. And Paul says this in Corinthians 4, verse 1, and then verses 8 and 9. Therefore, he said, since God in his mercy has given us this new way. And what is the new way? It's Jesus. We never give up. Verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, not knowing what will happen, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. We get, sorry. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Church, God has given us a new way, and it is not a political system. It is a personal Savior. His name is Jesus. Therefore, we don't give up. And we might be pressed on every side by troubles, but we will not be crushed. And we might be perplexed, wondering what in the world will happen, but we are not driven to despair. At some point, I have said this before, we will be hunted down, but we'll never be abandoned by God. And though we might get knocked down, we are not destroyed. Church, we've got to seek God's presence, and we've got to serve God's city, and we've got to have a commitment to continue. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. God is not bound by any government. He's not limited by any laws. That, that no matter what Supreme Court justices are put in place, He is still the Supreme God. So we serve Him and seek Him and love on our city and we will continue regardless of who is in office. Should you vote? Absolutely. I think we all should if you're eligible. Pray about who to vote for. Seek God for his will to be done in our country. But beyond all that, the ultimate thing is not a president. It's the presence and power of God. I want to pray for you. Then I'll ask you to remain seated. Ryan has some closing words. But I just want to just to pray, just a prayer of declaration that I think all of us can agree on, but I want to drive the rest of this sermon series. And it's built right out of what we just looked at in scripture. So let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much that you don't leave us blind to how we should react to modern day events. Lord, your people went through it. So I pray in the name of Jesus that we would seek your presence. Lord, may your kingdom come. That we would serve our city, both corporately as a church and individually as your people. That we would be good for our community. Lord, we ask, we ask that you would make the welfare of our country good. That it would succeed according to your will because its welfare determines our welfare. And Lord, no matter what happens on election day, when we wake up Wednesday morning, November 9th, we will not give up up for you have given us a new way. His name is Jesus. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.